0: Screeching tires, daredevil drifting, lightning-fast launches, speed, 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 absolutely none of those things. This week on Tempest. I'm David Obachowski, and welcome to Tempest, a series that explores our heartbreaking and humorous and complicated relationships with cars. This week, a story about, well, downshifting, only no, not like that. But to be clear, this is a story about driving. It is a story about cars. But not right away, it's not. Some of us who love cars, we feel like it's hardwired, like it's in the blood. Even when we were kids, we loved cars. Loved looking at them, loved playing with Hot Wheels, drew countless pictures of them. For others, cars are something we come to appreciate over time, perhaps because of a person, or because of an experience. Maybe it's an entirely unexpected thing.
1: For Alfred Bailey Shikani,
0: cars were not a thing he really cared about for most of his life.
1: No, I didn't follow car things at all. I mean, I didn't, I didn't read car blogs. I didn't. I wasn't into cars. I didn't. I, I didn't do it. I mean, we have our our mechanic Jeremy McCabe. We just take cars to Jeremy, and Jeremy does stuff with them. I don't really get involved at all. You know, I wouldn't even try to diagnose. I damn. I definitely didn't have like an OBD two reader or anything like that. I didn't have, you know, jack stands or. Or a tool set. I mean, cars just weren't something that cars got you from point A to point B. I I, I wasn't that interested in them.
0: Until everything changed. That's the way it is sometimes. Life takes unexpected turns. We, meanwhile, are going to take an early break. And when we come back, adventure and thrills. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. Okay, before we get into this, Alfred has something he'd like to say.
1: I, I apologize in advance for uh sounding like a uh a cartoon character, but that's I promise it's just my normal voice.
0: In fact, when I ask Alfred if he looks like a cartoon character, he tells me.
1: I I've been I've been told uh that uh I might. Uh, I mean so what am I? I'm pretty short, five five, black hair, olive skin, Lebanese. Um yeah.
0: Nah, don't think he looks like a cartoon, and I don't think he sounds like one either. In fact, if he has anything at all in common with a cartoon character, perhaps it's that, like Wile Coyote or Yosemite Sam or the Tasmanian Devil, Alfred has spent a pretty decent chunk of his life falling from very high places. Only, unlike old Wiley, Alfred had a parachute. You see, Alfred's been a long-time thrill-seeking adrenaline junkie. Always has been.
2: I would say that's an understatement. Yes, very true.
0: That's Amy Shikani, Alfred's wife. And she says,
2: He definitely has a need for, for high adrenaline activities. Alfred just has like an insane drive to live life hard. And when he decides that he's going to do something, he doesn't do it a little bit. He does it Well first he researches the bejesus out of it to make sure he's doing it the right way and then he just does it full throttle ahead Um, and everything is focused around that until he conquers it and then he moves on to the next obsession.
0: So what have been some of his obsessions? Well, mountain climbing is one of them. And I'm not talking about peaceful hikes in the mountains. I'm talking about treacherous multi-day climbs that require actual survival skills.
2: He he went through a phase where he was really into like extreme winter um, mountaineering.
0: Like he tells me about one climb he did where
1: it ended up being a whiteout for like a day or two, and I couldn't see anything, and had to go out instruments only, and wound up in some ravine, and you know narrowly had to dig my way back out of the ravine after I had gotten too far down in it and realized that I was going the wrong way and...
0: But that's okay. Because as Amy said, Alfred is not a dabbler. When he does something, he goes all the way. He trains hard. Brutal cold and snow? Not a problem for Alfred. It's almost like he'd be looking forward to something like that.
1: I did a lot of training. Like I would sleep...
0: Here he pauses and he backs up a little bit.
1: When those polar vortexes came through... um, it was perfect timing for me because I would go out and sleep on our on our second story deck.
0: This is in Ohio, by the way. Their winters aren't exactly mild.
1: And uh, I'd come in in the, uh, in the mornings and I could, I could have a little ice on my eyelids and, you know, uh, on like five o'clock shadow and it would just be, I'd be blue. My wife would just be like, God, you're killing me. Why are you going to sleep out on the
2: deck? <laughs> I mean, I... Mostly I was just like, okay, have fun. I'm going to be warm in bed inside.
1: In addition
0: to the mountaineering thing, he also really enjoyed, and I alluded to this earlier, skydiving. He did it for nearly 10 years. And what I think is interesting about this one is how he came to it in the first place. You see, Alfred works in the insurance industry right now, but he describes himself as a recovering attorney. The skydiving thing goes back to those days. He was in law school and interning at a firm and studying for the bar. Pressure was on. The bar was notoriously difficult. The firm he was with had made an offer, but it was contingent on him passing. It was stressful. And that might be okay for when you're stuck in a ravine in sub-zero temperatures. But not for a test. No way. Not for Alfred.
1: You know, I knew that it wasn't life and death. I just didn't know how to get myself to feel that way. And
0: then... He had an idea.
1: We had just adopted a puppy. I was like, hey, I'm going to take the dog to this airfield. I'm going to go skydiving. She said, okay. Um, So I went and uh, did it once and did tandem where they like strap you to somebody. And then the first words out of my mouth, as soon as I hit the ground, I turned around to the guy that was strapped to me. and I said, hey, I'll give you a hundred bucks in cash if you'll take me up again. And I want to do it again right now. And he was like, okay, sure.
0: And just like that, clarity
1: uh, it just kind of reset my my scale for you know anxiety and by bringing in some some good fear and some real apprehension of life and death it totally let me reframe this is a this is a test I'm just studying for it's another standardized test like everything else it's just a test it's not life and death I've made it this far you know in standardized testing world and whatever I can t- I can take one more and it, it you know it won't be life and death. I'll be able to figure it out. And it kind of helped me get my, get my psyche and, uh, you know, my, my spirit around it some.
0: More than just a fresh perspective, skydiving gave him an experience, a rush that few things could. To a thrill seeker like Alfred, it's potent stuff. I ask him about what it was like, and he's effusive.
1: Oh, it is absolutely incredible. So if you ever do it, always do it tandem the first time. You're going to get all the way up in the air, they're going to open this door. It's very loud. You're definitely nervous and they say, all right, you ready to skydive? You say, yeah. They say, all right, put your foot out on that step. And there's a step about the size of, I'm going to date myself here, like a VHS tape. And that is what you're supposed to put both your feet on. Um, And then you kind of hold on to to the wing. And then the person that you're strapped to will push you the rest of the way out. and, And you're in free fall.
0: And here, he tries to describe to me the sensation of that free fall.
1: There's absolutely no feeling, like, you know the pit of your stomach when you go, when you're going over like bunny hills or like a roller coaster or something and you drop? Um, absolutely none of that feeling. Absolutely none of that. There's a tremendous amount of resistance uh, from the minute you open the door. I mean, you're fighting the wind and when you're dropping, you really don't feel weightless. I mean, you feel like you're flying, kind of. I mean, it's it's just... It's really, it's, it's really, really different. Uh, it sets off all sorts of fun, like alarm bells, you know, I'm sure that are hardwired into our body, like, oh no, I'm falling. <laughs> uh, I'm still falling, you know, it's been 20 seconds and I'm still falling. And it, uh, it's, it's just a really, it's a really cool feeling.
0: A cool feeling. Different things for different people, but this does not sound cool to me. It sounds terrifying. And it does frame me too.
1: That's how my wife is. My wife does not like it. She came to the drop zone once or twice, and she just didn't like it. My wife said, "She, I mean, she would never do it. Absolutely never. There is no amount of money that you could ever pay her. Ever, she would never consider skydiving. Ever. I've tried to goad her into it a million times. She absolutely will never do it."
2: Oh my god, no! <laughs> I hate the feeling of like falling. I can't do roller coasters. I had to take my four-year-old on a roller coaster in Green Bay this summer, and I nearly vomited while I was faking like I was having a good time so that he wouldn't get scared. It was horrendous. So skydiving to me literally sounds like the worst thing in the world.
0: But it was something that, along with rowing and extreme mountaineering, Alfred loved doing. If he had had any complaints about it, it was that he didn't do it enough. During those nearly 10 years of skydiving, Alfred was in law school, and then he was working at a law firm, and then he was newly married, and then they were starting a family. You don't just pop out for an hour or two to jump out of an airplane.
1: When you jump, you're really going to be gone all day.
0: Being an avid skydiving person is a real commitment.
1: Uh, I mean, there, I jumped with a lot of people that were doing it literally every weekend, all weekend, but they lived there. You know, I mean, they basically lived at the jumps, at the drop zone, and that was their friends and family. And, you know, and there were like little kids running around and their parents were jumping all day, you know, and, and it's neat. Being in a drop zone and part of a little skydiving community is, is certainly a fun group of people. It's They're different.
0: But Alfred never fully joined that community, though I think the temptation might have been there. He jumped off and on for the next eight or so years when he could find the time. And during that time, he went mountaineering at some of the highest, most spectacular but dangerous mountains, But he also worked, and his career as an attorney continued until he decided it was all too much, and he moved on to the insurance industry. Amy, meanwhile, enjoyed success in her own career.
2: Um, I studied biology, and then my um, graduate degree is in human genetics. I'm a genetic counselor.
0: So what is a genetic counselor? Amy explains.
2: I work in cardiology. I meet with patients and families who have some sort of cardiac disease that can be inherited, so like heart muscle diseases or heart rhythm disorders, that sort of thing. And I do a lot of research and teaching and all those sorts of things that go with it.
0: With their professional lives settled and with two healthy children, Alfred and Amy decided to buy some property in the mountains of Colorado. It would be the start to a new chapter, but little did they know it would be a sudden and scary end to one as well. Amy has family in Colorado, and since they're both active people who love the outdoors, Amy and Alfred decided to purchase some land in the mountains.
1: My wife and I bought some property in Idaho Springs, like the St. Mary's Glacier, Indian Peaks Wilderness area.
0: When they bought it, Alfred hadn't actually seen it in person. So after the deal closed, the whole family hopped on a plane from Cincinnati and flew west to see Amy's family. Alfred headed up to the property on his own, and just in case, brought along his climbing and camping gear.
1: Went up there, the land ended up being a lot cooler than I thought, so I ran back down to the car, got all my gear, and then went back up, spent the night up there, came back down, so I, it's like 8 or 10 miles or so, running at uh, a pretty brisk pace, and uh, yeah, spent the night up there, hopped on an airplane, came back, and then just popped
0: pop. What does that mean?
1: We
2: had gotten back to Cincinnati and we had lugged children and strollers and multiple car seats through the airport twice in Denver and then in Cincinnati and finally gotten home, got the kids to bed and were seemingly in bed for like our first real night of good sleep since we left for our trip.
1: Woke up at three in the morning, I was a little disoriented, like didn't know what was happening and I oh, my chest hurts. So
2: he wakes me up in the middle of the night, and he says, my chest hurts. And I said, well, it's probably just from lugging all the car seats and the babies through the airport. Um, just take some ibuprofen and go back to sleep.
1: Took a few ibuprofen, and went, laid back down in bed, and I was like, huh.
2: Kind of laid down and moved around a little bit, and then he, like, sat up abruptly and said, no, I think I'm having a heart attack.
1: No. I mean, I just didn't think it was possible. I didn't think it was possible. And then I figured, like, oh, well, my wife's, you know, I mean, this is what my wife, my wife knows so much about your vascular and heart systems. Like, she would tell me, you know, I mean, she, she said and looked at me, she's like, well, you're not having a heart attack, are you? And I said, no, of course
2: I'm not. I mean, I didn't really think he was having a heart attack. Alfred is not always, like, the most um, pain-tolerant individual, so I was just kind of chalking it up to, like sore muscles from his um, from carrying all
1: the car seats and, and our trip. The pain was actually pretty bad though, I'd say. Like, you know when sometimes you get like, uh, you'll be running or something or you'll get like a breathing cramp or something, you know, that like muscle muscle, like skeletal kind of thing in your chest where it's like, ooh, it hurts real bad when you're taking a breath. And just for a second though, It's like that, except it just doesn't go away, and it gets worse. And you kind of get a little panicky, get a little scared, and then it starts getting worse still after that.
2: I knew he was in pain, and so he definitely, like, was in enough discomfort that he wanted to seek medical attention. So I knew that at some point he must have felt, like, pretty bad. But in my mind, there was no way he was having a heart
1: attack. She goes, yeah, drive yourself to the hospital, because she had just had our two-year-old daughter Well, it is two now.
2: I think we had a six week old baby, and so I couldn't offer to drive him to the airport. The baby was asleep, our older child was asleep. Um, But I knew that he must really be in pain because it was like two days after our deductible reset, and Alfred does not like spending money on medical care.
1: And so I drove myself to the hospital, and they're like, Yep, you're having a heart attack.
2: Oh, wow. That's not what I was expecting.
1: They gave me some uh, nitroglycerin and everything to really open up all my vessels and, uh.
2: Well, I was obviously like concerned and very scared for him. Um, but I knew that he was able to drive himself to the hospital, so I was hoping
1: that he like got there soon enough that they were going to be able to do something. Uh, there was actually no damage uh, to my heart when they looked at the angiogram. They said there was no damage and they said that there were no blockages.
0: So what was it? What caused it? Well, there were a few theories. Could have been a clot, for instance, that was cleared when they gave him the nitroglycerin and the blood thinners. But as cardiologists thought, there was a more likely explanation for a perfectly fit 32-year-old man suffering a sudden heart attack. Uh,
1: a cardiac spasm. Could have been caused by all the altitude, the you know sustained high heart rate for many, many, many hours, and then also the cabin pressurization, everything on the plane ride, and and all that. And so their their end game hypothesis that we ended up sticking with, I think, uh, was that it was a spasm that caused the heart attack. And uh, you know, I just can't, I shouldn't be putting myself in a position where a spasm could happen again. So, you know, I really got to mind my, mind my beats per minute, uh, stay under my max, you know, basically just don't redline, is what my cardiologist told me.
0: That there was no damage, no blockage was good news. But the rest of it, Andrew wasn't as pleased with.
1: Uh, it was really, yeah, I sat down with my cardiologist and he said, hey, look, man, you, you're going to have to stop redlining. You just suffered a heart attack at a young age. You should not be, you, this should not be happening to you. I kind of looked at him and said, well, Eugene, I, I like that stuff. I don't, what the hell else am I going to do? He said, I don't know. You're going to have to figure out a new hobby. And I thought, well, that sucks.
0: Disappointed, Alfred went home and tried to think of what could possibly fill the void that skydiving and extreme mountaineering had left. How could a person who's at his happiest at the red line find joy just above idle. Then he got an idea, and perhaps it was these very terms that his cardiologist was using, red line, telling Alfred his heart was an engine.
1: It might have been, yeah. I mean, it it probably was in subconscious, you know? I mean, I know that uh, redlining was, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. A lot of that terminology is kinda how we talked about it at first, and so yeah, maybe it did come, yeah, maybe that's how the scene got planted.
0: He'd always regarded cars as tools, transportation, but the doctor's order was to take it slow.
1: I'm not necessarily, you know, like a slow uh, person. I, 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 wouldn't, I, I, I like, uh, you know, adrenaline and speed and um, anxiety. You know, I kind of embrace that stuff. And so I had to try to figure out a way that I could have my hobby ideally be double duty and have it take this place of some of my old, more aggressive hobbies that I which wasn't going to be able to medically do anymore. Um, But also, it really needed to serve a second purpose where I had to be able to wrap my head around enjoying this transformation and not just get vindictive and irritable and, you know, be a curmudgeon because I can't do this fun stuff that I used to do. You know, I had to convince myself and find some, some way to actively enjoy slowing down.
0: Whatever it was would have to be slow.
1: I started... Reading up uh, on uh, classic Mercedes diesel engines, uh, specifically um, a 240 diesel or a 300 diesel.
0: These old Mercedes were relatively simple, which would allow him to teach himself how to wrench. They were good looking, and no matter how often he might mat the gas pedal, they were slow. He was more than a little intrigued.
1: Something kind of just bit me about the old Mercedes with the the big, you know, the circular lights and the fact that it literally sounds like a tractor. The Naturally Aspirated kind of drives like it too. There was a massive online following and uh, a lot of a lot of forum posts and any number of different uh, avenues where I can get help uh, and information from the online community. And so I thought that was probably, you know, looking, looking at all the aspects, I thought, eh, Old Mercedes is probably the best way to go.
0: Meanwhile, Amy had no idea.
1: It it literally came
2: out of nowhere. He Just one day, he said that he had a car that he wanted to buy to go look at. And we ended up driving like three hours out of town to go look at some really old car that I was not excited about.
1: And we stop at this this guy's place. He opens up his garage and he's got this beautiful old orange Mercedes there. And I'm just beside myself. I, I kind of look at it. I talk away from him, like, Amy, let's go get the baby real quick. And we get the baby out of the car and I go, Amy, I'm buying this. I'm buying it today. And I was like, if it starts and can drive home, I'm buying it. And she said, all right, fine, whatever.
0: Well, it did start, but there was one problem. I also
1: couldn't drive a manual transmission. That's true.
0: Fortunately, Amy could.
1: I learned how to drive on a
2: stick and drove a stick for the majority of my teen years. So I, I knew how to drive one.
1: So my wife gets in the car, and the guy is like, this guy, he looks at me, he's like, why is she driving? And I said, oh, you know, I wanted to, I wanted to like, you know, listen to the motor and said, I'm full of shit because I don't know anything about cars. He likes to
2: bluff in most of his conversations.
0: There was one flaw in this plan. Amy struggled to reach the pedals.
1: So Amy stalls it out, and she's just, her face is red. She's just so irate. She's like, I don't even want this damn car. You want this car, you got to drive it.
0: And so they switched, and Alfred bluffed. He put the car in neutral and let it roll down the driveway to the street below. And then he hitched and lurched and stalled his way to their mechanic, teaching himself the fine art of driving a manual transmission along the way.
1: Those cars are pretty fun driving. It was, I mean, it was beautiful. It was manual transmission, manual windows, no sunroof, so nothing to leak. And it was vibrant orange. Uh, It was exactly what I wanted.
0: He bought the Beast, which was...
1: Uh, a 1981 English Schrott, English red. That's German for English red, but in reality, English red is vibrant, beautiful orange. Um, so a 1981 Mercedes 240D, so naturally aspirated, not the Turbo 300D.
0: Or if all that's too much of a mouthful, Amy says.
2: We called the car, Benny.
0: And Benny truly was everything Alfred dreamed it would be.
2: Oh, he was so happy with this thing. He loved it. He loved the color of it. He was gonna do everything he possibly could to make it even more awesome than it already was in his mind. He he was so happy with it.
0: Over the course of the next year, he poured thousands of dollars into it, all the while intensely studying and wrenching, feeling not only the satisfaction of rowing his own gears, but also the pride that comes with being able to make a repair or do a bit of improvement all on his own. He came at it with the same dedication and passion he put into mountaineering and skydiving, but with Benny, there was no going fast.
2: I would call it like clunky, chugs along, very sluggish. You know, that sort of thing.
0: When we come back, goodbye Benny. Halford's cheating. The English red 1981 Mercedes 240D, known as Benny, had given Alfred great joy over the course of a year, teaching him how to wrench, how to use a standard shift, and more than anything else, giving him a love for cars and for driving. It was turnkey when he'd bought it, but as any car lover can attest, there's always some work to be done to make it just right. And like any car lover knows, you don't do it because you're ever going to see the return on the investment, but you do it because it's what you want to do. And so he did. And after a year, he sold it at a loss financially, but at a great gain as a person who discovered a new passion. Even Amy, who never liked driving Benny, reconnected with the joy of driving stick. As Alfred points out,
1: yeah, we, we don't have any automatic cars anymore. We don't have any. They're all all three of them are manual.
0: So yes, Benny moved on, but in its place, some new sets of wheels.
1: We have two uh, two Mark Six uh, Jetta Sport Wagon. Uh, diesel gate uh, cars. Um, and then I've got a Mark 1 uh, Audi TT.
0: And more than just cars, he's found car people. That skydiving community who practically lived at the drop zone who Alfred never joined? He's found another community instead.
1: People, the car community is, has been really fun. And it's also something that like, my little four-year-old kid just absolutely loves because he's just so into cars. So, I mean, you know, it's something where now we go to uh, there's cars and coffee here in Cincinnati on Saturdays and Sundays. And I go out there with my kid and, you know, even my two year old daughter loves them. Uh, and it's just it's been really neat. I've met a lot of really nice people. And it's it's very fun. You definitely get out of the community what you put into it. But that said, there's still, you know, even if all you have is a weekend here or there, uh, you know, it, it, it's entertaining. I, I really like it. It's become a very, uh, very fun hobby and I, one that I'll definitely stick with, I'm sure, for, for a very long time.
0: And driving is no longer just a way of getting from point A to
2: point B for Alfred. Alfred is definitely all about the driving experience. I don't know that I would include myself to quite his level of enthusiasm. But yes, Benny seemed to have really given him the ability to like tinker with cars and get excited about cars and learn how cars work and and how to fix things and how to do just like regular maintenance and just have the confidence to be able to do it on other cars as well.
0: But with that comfort and confidence, of course, comes a desire for just a little bit more and a little bit more.
1: You know, I can speed this up a little bit. This is fine. I can I can figure out, uh, you know, enjoying cars as a hobby, but also maybe get a little bit of my adrenaline junkie side back.
2: He is kind of a crazy driver. It actually reminds me, like, back to the days of, like, coxing a boat and steering a boat. He is on the road, and he is you know trying to see what lane makes the most sense to be in and doing crafty things with the with the shifting to to make it more efficient
0: i love cars and i like alfred and amy i want this to be a happy ending and maybe it is or maybe it will be but right now for alfred and amy with their cheater sport wagons and audi tt this is just a moment in time in an ongoing life unexpected things happen a heart attack at 3 a.m And, not unexpected things happen. Alfred pushing the envelope. So as much as I want to wrap it up with a tidy bow, and say, Alfred's fine, and cars fixed it all, there's always a chance that cars are just the things he rides back to the red line in. I ask Amy about this possibility, and she levels with me.
2: Alfred doesn't live life in the slow lane, and he always tells people that he's not made for distance, he's built for speed, and I I think that's true.
0: Still, It may be too much to ask for some cars, but for people, you like to think they can do both. Go fast and go far. Thanks so much for listening to Tempest. The show is written, hosted, and produced by me, David Obachowski. I also do the music along with my very good friend and collaborator, Kenny Appel. The theme song is by Distant Correspondent. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe. And if you have any questions or compelling car stories, I want to hear from you. Get me via email, tempest at tempestpodcast.com. Or find me on Twitter at Tempest Podcast, as well as at David O. from NJ, as in David O. from New Jersey. Visit the show on the web, tempestpodcast.com. Thanks so much, and I'll see you next time.